We're in John 13 to 17, at the, what's sometimes called the farewell discourse or Jesus' last words as we've renamed it. I know it says something in Revelation about not playing with the, the words of the Bible, but uh, those are only the headings, so you're allowed to, to change those. And Jesus has shown in chapter 13 that he's uh, come to serve and not to be served, that he, and he showed that by washing the disciples' feet in chapter 13, and then he predicted Judas's betrayal and then Peter's denial. And then he moves on in chapter 14 to talk about his death on the cross, about his suffering and his dying for the sins of the world, uh, being our way back to him, opening up the way for our relationship with God. Again, the way of eternal life. And we heard Jimmy speak to us last week of Jesus's famous words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And now we get to our passage tonight uh, in John 14, and it's page 1082, if you want to open your Bibles, John 14, 1082. And here we get to one of the first passages about the Holy Spirit in this farewell discourse. And Jesus then promises his disciples that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit as another advocate, it says in here. In some translations it says as another counsellor, and in others it says another helper. Uh, And the word means someone who draws alongside, someone who draws alongside to bring comfort, to bring encouragement and to strengthen. And that's why uh, different translations will translate the word in slightly different ways. So that sense of, I will ask the Father and he will send you someone, another person like me, who will, uh, says Jesus, who who will come alongside you and strengthen you and encourage you and comfort you. And that other person is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. And we often misunderstand the Holy Spirit, don't we? I think the church over the years has had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And probably of the three persons of the Trinity, the most misunderstood. Uh, The church has gone through large periods of its history ignoring the Holy Spirit as well. So just that sense of who he is, what he does, why he's here not helped uh, by the fact that in the old translation, the King James Version, he's talked about as the Holy Ghost, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which conjures up all sorts of uh, probably quite unhelpful images uh, of bedsheets and uh, and all the rest of it. But just that sense of the Holy Spirit being a bit quirky, a, a bit odd, um, Rowan uh, Atkinson in the four weddings and a funeral. I was going to show you the clip. Uh, I'm afraid uh, I'm not because it's, it's too long. But I really enjoyed watching it in preparation uh, for this sermon. You'll be pleased to hear. Uh, hilarious. So uh, go home and watch it. But he, he, Father, Son and Holy Goat was uh, the classic Rowan uh, Atkinson. I keep meaning to, thinking I'm going to say Rowan Williams. It's Rowan, Rowan Atkinson. Is right, isn't it? The classic <laughs> Rowan Atkinson line. But just a couple of things about the Holy Spirit before we dive into the text. He is a person, not an it. And just this sense of Holy Ghost, uh, where we talk about the Holy Spirit, we can often slip into that language of it, the Holy Spirit being a force. Or I don't know if there are any Alan Partridge fans uh, here, but that sense of, uh, he describes God as a gas. You know, not an unfriendly gas like carbon monoxide, but a nice gas like oxygen. But that sense of the Holy Spirit being, you know, you get the idea, floaty, ghost-like. But the Holy Spirit is very definitely an, a, a he, 
a person. In the scripture, it talks about him thinking and feeling and speaking and guiding and, and being grieved by us as well. The third person of the Trinity, fully God, having existed in a relationship of love with the Father and the Son since before the creation of the world. In terms of what the Holy Spirit does, uh, Jesus, the observant amongst you will have noticed, is no longer with us on earth. Uh, but the presence of God is here by the Holy Spirit. Presence of God with us. And it's, it's helpful sometimes to think of the Holy Spirit as continuing the work of Jesus on earth, in us and through us. So when Jesus says he's going to send another advocate, the sense that someone who will continue to do what he has already been doing, comforting, drawing alongside, encouraging, strengthening. And there are three things I want to look at from tonight's passage of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And they're all to do with that sense of bringing newness, of bringing freshness, of bringing transformation, bringing life to us, leading us into a deeper relationship with God. And these three things are not at all an exhaustive job description for the Holy Spirit, but just three things that this passage picks up on this evening. And the first thing is a sense of a new relationship. The Holy Spirit gives us a completely transformed relationship with God. If you look at verse 16, this is what Jesus says. He says, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another counsellor, he'll be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And then Jesus goes on to say, he lives with you and will be in you. Will be in you. In the Old Testament, one of the big differences between Old and New Testaments was the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for very specific tasks. But then after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament and after the sending of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit not just lives with us, but he lives in us. The presence of Jesus in us every second of every day. And this utterly transforms our relationship with God. Jesus says, again, looking at the text in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. And he says elsewhere in Scripture, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, uh, some of the last words he speaks to the disciples, he says, I will be with you always, till the very end of the age. The sense that we will never, ever be abandoned by God because he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's left the Spirit with us, in us, until Jesus comes again. Or look at verse 23 where Jesus says, the Father and I will come and make our home with those who follow me. That language of intimacy, that language of, of being inviting Jesus and the Father into our house. So where they feel comfortable, where they feel at home, that happens by the Spirit. We're brought up, invited into the relationship of God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We're adopted into a heavenly family as dearly loved children, as sons and daughters of God. That's the transformed relationship. That is all made possible by the Holy Spirit. And there's a story told of a guy called Billy Bray who lived a couple of hundred years ago, hard-drinking, loose-living miner from Cornwall, and loved nothing more than fighting. And at age 29, he became a Christian, and his life totally transformed He stopped drinking. He came home one day and said to his wife, you'll never see me drunk again. And he was true to his word until the end of his life. 
And his story obviously had quite an impact on the miners that he worked with. And he, be, he began to tell his story, to share his testimony and to preach. And, and thousands had come and hear him. And he was all, and, and uh, as thousands came to hear him over a number of years, many came to faith in Jesus as well. Many were healed. But the thing about Billy, that he's always praising God for his new relationship. And his favorite expression was, I am a son of the king. I'm a son of the king, adopted into the heavenly family of God. A son of God, a son or daughter of the king. And there's a great passage, uh, if you want to turn with me, in Romans chapter 8, that picks up a a couple of these themes. And uh, Romans 8, that's page 1135. And Romans 8, 15 and 16 I'm not going to go into it in detail, but I wanted to draw your attention to it. Because it picks up this sense of the Holy Spirit transforming our relationship with God. And this is what it says, Romans 8.15. It says that you, as Paul writing to the church in Rome, you receive the spirit of sonship. So that sense of you are now son of God, adopted into the heavenly family. You have a new family and it's God's family. And by him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. And that word Abba is Aramaic. It would be in the language that Jesus spoke. And it means Daddy. It's a diminutive form of Father. But it speaks of that intimate relationship, again, with God. This is no distant God who creates the world, sets it in motion, and then sits back and watches what happens. This is a God who comes to be with us. He sends his only Son so that we could know him and then sends the spirit to live in us and transform our hearts. And he goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. So there's that experience. It's not just something that's head knowledge. This passage is talking about the Holy Spirit testifying with our own spirits that we are God's children. So that experience of the truth and the joy of being children of God. And then right at the end, uh, the bit says, now if we're children, then we're heirs. So there's no half measures at all being adopted into the family of God, a son or daughter of the king. We're heirs with Christ. Everything that is in Christ is now in us because we're in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And we're just getting started. That's just the first thing that uh, this passage gives us a glimpse of tonight in terms of the Holy Spirit bringing newness and freshness. So that new relationship with God. Secondly, there's a new or a transformed understanding uh, as well as that new relationship with God. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth, as we see in verse 26. And it says in verse 26, we're back in John's Gospel now, Uh, chapter 14, that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So he'll teach and he'll remind. Now this isn't free reign, as some might think, to claim new revelation. That the Holy Spirit has just taught me this great thing that is new and I'm going to now teach you. Saying that the Holy Spirit has led me into all truth or into a new truth. And if anyone ever says this to you, and I've, I've actually heard certain uh, North American bishops say this in public, 
use these verses to say the Spirit. I know that the Bible has traditionally taught this, but now the Spirit is leading me and others into all truth. Uh, And now this is what we believe. If anyone ever says that to you, then beware. Test what they say against the Bible. And then uh, if there's a sharp stick nearby, just poke him in the eye with it. In, in love. Or obviously in love. It goes without saying. And actually Jesus spoke these words first to his disciples. And it's, it's true of them. So when Jesus rose from the dead and uh, went to be with the Father in heaven and then sent the Spirit, the Spirit would teach them all things and would remind them of what Jesus had already said. And if you look through John's Gospel, there are various uh, bits that John writes where he says, and the disciples, uh, brackets, a little bit dumb at this point, only really understood what Jesus said after he'd risen from the dead. So there's that sense that this is first and foremost to the disciples. And then after Jesus' resurrection, they were led into all truth, they were reminded of what Jesus taught, and then they wrote it down in Scripture for us. Firstly, But there is still a sense that it is true for us today that the Holy Spirit does teach us and does remind us uh, things too. But he does this in a different way. He does it by opening our eyes to what is written in the Scriptures. And without the Holy Spirit, this is just another book. It's just another book. Uh, And without the Holy Spirit... Boy, would it be a difficult book. I mean, with the Holy Spirit, it's pretty tough in parts, isn't it? And pretty dull, if we're honest, and we struggle and we get bogged down. Uh, Imagine what it's like without the Holy Spirit. Um, It's just another book. But with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can give us that fresh understanding, open our eyes to the truth that's in Scripture, open our eyes to who God is, open our eyes to what Jesus has done, open our eyes to who we are, And what God's plan is for our lives. What his vision is for the church. What's going to happen at the end of all things. With the Holy Spirit we can grasp that way of salvation. We can meet with Jesus. And we can find really practical wisdom for life. All in the Bible. Which is why whenever I read the Bible. And whenever um, someone in St Michael's preaches. We always pray that the Holy Spirit would come and give us that fresh understanding. Because without that, we're fumbling around in the dark. And if the Holy Spirit does teach us truth from Scripture and does remind us of truth, then we can play our part in that as well, can't we? We can open ourselves to that truth. And if, if you want a greater revelation of who God is, if you want to know God better, if you want to know yourself better, and God's purposes and plans for you, then you can do no greater thing than to get your nose stuck in the Bible and ask, well not stuck in the, you obviously might want to take it out again, but that sense of of opening it up and really getting stuck in, grappling with what scripture says by the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, a challenge for all of us tonight, how much time do you spend reading the Bible? You may think, I know Martin, what what you say, I know, I, I go with it, I believe it, but actually do your actions speak of that how much time do you spend in the bible how much time do you spend doing other things reading course books i know you have to do that uh, those of you who are students or reading the newspaper a good thing to do uh, on facebook maybe not such a great thing to do but how how much time do you spend doing other things compared to reading the bible 
And today there are loads of Bible reading plans. We've got stuff at the back. I'd love to chat to any one afterwards. If, if you're not sure where to start or how to get stuck in, there are notes, there are study Bibles, there are phone apps. All of these things the Holy Spirit can use can teach us and renew our minds. And it's not, don't think it's a solo activity. I think sometimes I've made the mistake of thinking that it's me and the Bible and the Spirit. And that's great. And those times are important and those times are refreshing and and deepening of my faith. But it's also something that we do together, isn't it? Which is why we encourage life groups at St. Michael's. Which is why we encourage prayer triplets or tie groups, uh, the three is enough groups that uh, we were talking about last week. Because the Holy Spirit uses others to teach us and might use me uh, or you to teach others. And we come to the mind of Christ together. That sense of when you've had a, a good a discussion, you kind of people give you other perspectives from Scripture. And I know um, after evening service last week, where we all went to uh, uh, to Steve's, the students went to, to Steve's to be fed. Uh, we had a really great conversation about the lottery. Uh, in, in light of what was said in church and just that sense of people coming at it from different angles coming maybe closer to the mind of Christ together as the Holy Spirit uses someone else to teach me and me uh, to teach them and my experience also of the Holy Spirit reminding me of truth is often if I'm praying with someone or for someone I'll just ask God is there anything specific from scripture he might want uh, to give me for that person and nine times out of ten, the verse that he gives me it is one that I know already. There has been the odd occasion where I've sensed um, the Spirit taking me to a part of Scripture that, and a verse that I wasn't particularly aware of. But nine times out of ten for me, it's that sense of, uh, yeah, this verse that you know, Martin, because you've read it in Scripture. That is the one that is appropriate. So a transformed relationship with God by the Spirit, uh, a transformed understanding, a renewed understanding, and finally, a new or transformed character. Jesus says that if we love him, we will obey his commands. Now, this is probably not particularly popular teaching. Today, we don't hear much about obedience. But Jesus says it three times in this passage, verses 15, 21, and 23, that if we love him, we will obey his commands. And that new relationship with God by the Spirit, that new understanding about what God has called us to, should then lead us to that transformed character. We don't just read the Bible so that we can know more, but to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. And in the Old Testament, God promised that he was going to remove our hearts of stone and he was going to give us new hearts of flesh. And he does this by the Spirit. He promises to make us more like Jesus, that we would all be transformed from one degree of glory into another. That's God's promise to us, that as we live lives lives of obedience, we will become more and more like Jesus. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we become more and more like the people that God created us to be, more like ourselves, new creations. And notice from this passage that obedience follows relationship obedience follows relationship it's not the other way around we can't earn God's love by trying to stick to his commands as much as most of us will undoubtedly have tried and I count myself among those who've tried thinking that if I only do this better 
then God will love me more. If I go to church more often, if I pray more, if I give more, if I swear less, whatever it is, then God will love me more. But obedience flows from love of God, comes out of our love for God and God's love for us. We want to obey him because we love him. Out of that deep sense of gratitude for what God's done for us. But then look at verse 21. Look down at verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. That sense that obedience comes from love, but then it also develops our relationship with God. And verse 21 says that that sense that those who love Jesus by obeying his commands, Jesus is going to show himself to them, to us. And you want to know God more? Then in terms of relationship, we can pray for our hearts to be filled uh, by the Spirit, for the Holy Spirit to come and pour the love of Jesus into our hearts. You want to know God more? Then get stuck into Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to give us a new and fresh understanding. But also, if you want to know God more, then obedience is the path to a greater intimacy with him. As we love Jesus, as we obey his commands, then he comes to be with us, Father and Son, and make their home with us. And there's a a challenging quote by C.S. Lewis of Chronicles of Narnia fame who says this, you have lost love because you never attempted obedience. You've lost love because you never tempted obedience. And just coming in, into land, a, um, I've been reading a book, a uh, little book recently, uh, 60 pages. Uh, those are some of the best books I find uh, you can get. You can pretty much guarantee you'll get to the end. Uh, and it's a book by Richard Sibbs, who many of you won't have heard of, but he's uh, existed about, lived about 400 years ago, Puritan preacher. And he wrote a book called The Tender Heart. And he's looking at what a heart that is completely committed to Christ looks like. A transformed life, a heart that loves Jesus. And he suggests a number of areas of obedience. And the Puritans seem to be very good at a number of things. They were very, very strong on obedience. And it seems also they were very, very good at writing very long lists. And uh, Richard Sibbs, of this, these lists of areas of obedience, has nine points to them. I'm not going to give them all to you uh, tonight. Uh, just a couple of them. And here they are. See if they resonate with you as we draw to a close. Open yourself to the means by which God will transform you. So that's to say through God's word and by the Spirit. So open yourself to the means of grace that God has given us, his word and his spirit. Seek fellowship with other like-minded believers. We've already talked a bit about that. The sense that iron sharpens iron, that we grow in Christ-likeness together. He says, take heed of the least sin against your conscience and act on it. So that sense that the least sin against your conscience will darken your understanding, deaden your affection and take away your life. That sense, that niggly sense that actually what I've just thought or done or said is not all right, 
but it's not a major sin. We've all been there, haven't we? God will forgive me. He knows what I'm like. Um, I can't help it. I'll make it up to him somehow. Richard Sibbs encourages us to take heed of the least sin against your conscience and deal with it. And then finally, he says, don't get caught up with the pleasures of life. So don't uh, get so caught up. I think he's not saying don't enjoy life, but he's he's saying don't get so caught up with material things that you lose sight of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, the one who comes to make his home in us, leads us into a deeper life, a deeper relationship of Jesus. And so as we come to communion in a minute, uh, there's that sense of maybe you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you don't know that relationship with God by the Spirit, but you long for that. Then tonight would be a great opportunity to do that as you come for communion. Well, there's that sense that you don't see yourself as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. You struggle with that sense of intimacy with God. Or you simply long for a greater intimacy with God. Then ask for prayer as you come for communion. (coughs) Or if you're struggling with Bible reading, you're just not getting much out of Scripture and you want the, the Spirit to open your eyes then uh, maybe that's an area of ministry. Or just that sense of obedience. There's a specific area maybe that you're struggling in obedience or just that general sense of, uh, of struggling with obedience, then we'd love to pray for you there as well. So why don't we pray now? sneeze a couple of weeks ago now it's my uh, my cough so holy spirit we bless you for your presence with us and the fact that you are the one who comes and you bring life you bring newness holy spirit thank you that you transform our relationship with god you bring fresh understanding and you change our character as well and we invite you to minister to each one of us now, to come and have your way in our lives. And we pray your will be done, your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.